0: All right, welcome back, students. This is the ultimate or penultimate lecture on the Odyssey. We're going to start in book 21, then we're going to quickly try and get through 22, 23, 24. We have to see some suitors die today. That's it. Let's remember a little bit of what happened beforehand. Odysseus, recall that he has just revealed himself to two of his serving men. Not only Eumaeus, who we know, the swineherder who offered him hospitality and kept him from getting eaten by dogs, rough, 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 but also a new uh, herdsman, an ox herdsman called Philoetius, or Felicius, as the, uh, the Brits would call him. And so he showed some hospitality to Odysseus and acknowledged that the fates are sent by gods, and if you happen to be uh, subject to a hard fate, is that necessarily your fault? No, and so you should be kind to somebody, regardless of whether they are in good times or bad times, so the Greeks believe because bad times are given by the gods, sort of disagreeing with the idea that Zeus shared at the very beginning, of the Odyssey where he said that it was human what that led to human suffering, yes? Human recklessness. human recklessness and perhaps, perhaps it is the case that humans recognize that recklessness can lead to poor fates. but even still it is best to assume that it is somebody's circumstance rather than their actions that brought difficult times upon them. Perhaps that's a more polite way of thinking about things and in any case, if you do offer somebody hospitality over zinia, and it is their own recklessness, that led to their poor condition what is it that they will tell you that will help you to prevent that fate for yourself they will tell you their what their story correct exactly they'll tell you their story and then what can you do for yourself Learn learn from it and make the decision yourself decide for yourself that's right that's right because sometimes it is a gift to you to have people who have walked difficult paths or paths you would not walk because because of their experiences they show you precisely what you do not want in the future. Anybody have a parent or an uncle or a coach or somebody who who had something terrible happen in their life and they say you don't want that to happen to you make sure that it doesn't. Right. That's valuable. That is very valuable experience and we honor that experience by listening to people's stories whether they've had so called good lives or by their own definitions bad lives because well do you want all the bad things that have happened to everybody else necessarily happening to you if they've happened before no and that's why we teach you all right very good very good very good very good so we know there is now uh this is i went back a slide there is now a contest for penelope's hand 12 axes buried in the ground holes either in the head of the axe or in the tail of the axe there's some hole in the axe an arrow after a bow, which is very difficult to string, is strung, requires great strength, must be shot with expert precision through all of these holes. And if that is done, the character has symbolically demonstrated both strength of will and of arms, but also precision of sight, the ability to get through multiple obstacles to one's goal and so obviously symbolically who is going to be capable of doing this who has shown great strength and perseverance and also an ability to stick to his aim and get to what he wants regardless of what happens who is that person my goodness this whole book is named for him yes Odysseus of course Odysseus of course Very good, very good, very good. Let's get to it. All right. We know that the first person to have tried the bow was Telemachus. And he tried once, twice, three times, and on the fourth time he would have what had he not received a look from his father? Yes? He He would have strung the bow, which means that he is much stronger than the suitors and that he is coming into his own and that he seems to be very much the son of Odysseus through his actions, not just his appearance, We know, his feet, hands, and the glances of his face were uh, called Odysseus, to those who know Odysseus, um, Menelaus in particular. Good. We then had, ooh, good bonus question for people who look sort of bored in the back. Who was the first suitor to try the bow and failed ingloriously? Anybody want help? Anybody want help? Yes? It was Leodes. Leodes, and remember Leodes? Afterwards, after he fails, says, man, to have stayed here for so long and to have wanted something for so long just to have failed so quickly is such a horror. And I think that that is a difficult moment that people hit in their lives when they sit around and want something for years but do not actively work towards the accomplishment or the acquisition of something. If, say, for three years you sit around and you're like, I want to be rich every day. But well, you don't build up your investments. You don't build dividends in your financial portfolio. It's like, are you going to become rich barring some billion to one odds on the, uh, uh, the lottery? The answer is obviously what? No. no. And then in just a moment, your hopes are dashed. That happens to people. Of course, of course that happens to people. One thing you might want to keep in mind is it's like the MCAT, That's the, that is the test you must write to get into medical school. Well. You have to be in a very high percentile in order to get into a very good medical school to become a doctor. Well, if you're in the 50th percentile, 40th percentile, 30th percentile, 20th percentile, 10th percentile, you're probably not going to medical school. Well, that means how many percentage of people who wanted to be doctors definitely are never going to be doctors? 50 percent at least. At least. And so that's something well worth thinking about because that is a modern example. And there are many others as well. Plenty of people want to go to, into the military, but they have some small physical degeneration, like a hole in their heart or something like that, arrhythmia, I believe that's called, and that keeps them from military service. I had a very good friend in college, in fact, who wanted to be a Marine, but he had some sort of bone issue, and he never could be, and he'd set his whole life on that. And so these sorts of things do happen to people, and so you have to know how to pivot in this world. In any case, now Eurymachus tries. And remember, what is it that Antinous had just done after Leodes failed to string the bow, Leotas is very sad, and Antinous says, don't worry about it, we'll just what? He rubbed, it in fat and it. he rubbed the bow in fat and heat in, and that's supposed to accomplish what? Uh, the Make the bow bend easier. They're cheating, they're cheaters, of course, and so Antinous, or excuse me, Eurymachus now, is like, okay, I'm going to try this bow. Well, he fails. And then he gives a small disquisition, lines 245 to 255 in book 21, really just bemoaning the fact that, man, it's not the fact that I'm losing Penelope that makes me so sad. There are plenty of women around Ithaca and the adjoining isles. The problem for me is that I'm so much weaker than Odysseus. It's really it's hitting him finally. He does have some elements of noble character. What upsets him isn't the acquisition of what would Essentially be a possession for him, but just the realization he must have thought that he was what? Stronger. He must have thought that he was actually stronger than Odysseus, worthier than Odysseus, just to have this shocking test show him just how much less he is. And so this has got to be a pretty terrible moment for Ulysses as well. Not only is it a terrible moment not getting the thing that you most wanted, but it's also a terrible moment when you definitely get put in your place and that place is much lower than you expect it to be. Like you think you're the best student at a school, you get in the 30th percentile on a test at that school, 70% of the people in the school are uh, in a better position uh, academically than you are, you thought you were the best, is that a very happy moment for you? Absolutely not, absolutely not. And that's something that, that is one of the benefits, I would say, of competition. Though painful, very helpful for showing you where you stand in a certain uh, in a certain terrain or in a certain um hmm, how do i say it a certain stadium sphere of influence in any case in a certain endeavor there we go all right so Antinous Telemachus and Penelope then debate should this beggar be able to take a shot Antinous is like well there's really no reason because the thing is if he doesn't string it who cares we didn't expect him to it's ignoble for us to compete against a beggar because we of course are suitors we're noblemen but if he does how humiliating oh my goodness He's stronger than we are, and he can shoot through this bow, and we can't do that. And this is a lose-lose situation. That said, Telemachus and Penelope, basically, or rather Telemachus in this case, makes the case, it's like, listen, this is my house. I can decide who does this, and who doesn't? Not you, Antinous. This is not your house. You're just one of the contestants of the bow. So this is how it's going to be. And frankly speaking, Telemachus does not like Antinous, so he would like him to be humiliated in this way. That said, obviously, the beggar is who? Odysseus Odysseus, and this is part of the plan so the beggar needs to shoot this arrow because well can you guess who the first victim Mm -hmm. victim or or I should say uh, traitor to be executed will be it will be Antinous, of course of course because the leader receives the reward or the punishment Mm -hmm. yeah right well the reward or the punishment depending on how his men do recall uh, Diomedes' opinion about Agamemnon Uh, when Agamemnon chastised him when he came by the troops. He said, "Diomedes, you and Stenelus need to work a little harder. And Stenelus said, we're, and he said, you're much less great than your father, Titius. And uh, so are you, Stenelus, less than Campanius. And remember that what it was that Diomedes said after Stenilus tried to defend them was, listen, it's Agamemnon, whose name's on the line. If he loses, he's the one for all time who lost to the Trojans with ten times more troops than they did and Achilleus. So, don't worry about what he says right now. Do not worry. All right. So let me get sense to Nelope upstairs. Very good thing. She's sort of shocked by his behavior, but he needs her to go upstairs because what's he about to do with his father? Kill, kill, kill. kill. And he doesn't want her to be there for that. Swineherd tells, the swineherd, that is, who's the swineherd again? Who remembers who the swineherd is? Yes. Eumaeus. He goes to Eurycleia and reminds her, bar the doors, because we want to keep these suitors in here and kill all of them. And Odysseus? Then takes up the bow, strings it with ease, shoots it through the 12 axes. Take a picture of this. I like this picture. I know, obviously, you can't see the axes below, and he looks more like Robin Hood. But you do see he's got the big old thighs that everybody knows him for. You see the suitors behind him thinking, well, not thinking much, right? They're not really known for their thinking. All right, good. Book 22. I love this picture. I love this picture. For those of you that can't see the picture... Right now, there's a picture of Odysseus looking like a beggar holding the bow, while Antinous looking a bit sloppy, kind of like Bacchus or Dionysus, the god of drinking, is holding an amphora up to his, that's a two-sided base, up to his face, lazily drinking. And Odysseus is, well, he's aiming the bow right at Antinous's heart, not quite heart. Where is it that he will shoot Antinous through? Yes? His throat. Why is that highly symbolic? What is it, Antinoas? What's well, the only thing we know Antinous is actually capable of doing? Talking. Talking and eating and drinking. Right. And you have to use your throat for all three of those. And so, finally, we're just going to sever the head from the body in one way or another. We're actually narrowing his throat. So let's take a look at this. So, uh, I don't want you to review really quickly. Ah yes, ah yes, one thing I want you to see. After Euromachus fails and is sad for being so much weaker than Odysseus, Odysseus strings the bow. And shoots. He then shoots Antinous through the throat, and the fools do not realize themselves, do not realize that it's still him until Odysseus names himself. So, okay, I'm going to take out the book really quickly and read that section to you because I love that section. And I'm going to do it as quickly as I can, so that I don't start sweating because we are on the clock. Twenty-four. Oh goodness. Twenty-three. Okay. 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 I'm on the right book. Now we're back. Okay. Now, resourceful Odysseus, this is book 22, lines 1. Stripped his rags from him and sprang up atop the great threshold, holding his bow and the quiver filled with arrows, and scattered out the swift shafts before him on the grand, ground next to his feet, and spoke his word to the suitors. Here is a task that has been achieved without any deception. Now I shall shoot at another mark, one that no man yet has struck. If I can hit it, and Apollo grants me the glory, he spoke. And steered a bitter arrow against Antinous. He was on the point of lifting up a fine two-handled goblet of gold. Here's the picture again, very good. And had it in his hands, and was moving it so as to drink of the wine. And in his heart there was no thought of death. For who would think that one man alone in the company of many men at their feasting, though he were a very strong one, would ever inflict death upon him in dark tombs? But Odysseus, aiming at this man, struck him in the throat with an arrow and clean through the soft part of the neck. The point was driven. He slumped away to one side, and out of his stricken hand fell the goblet. And up through his nostrils, there burst a thick jet of mortal blood. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like an old kung fu movie when somebody's slicing someone's head, or an old Quentin Tarantino film where they have like the pressurized shot of blood. And with a thrust of his foot, he kicked out the table from him, so that all good food was scattered on the ground, bread and baked meats together. But all the suitors clamored about the house when they saw the man was fallen, sprang up from their seats and ranged about the room, throwing their glances every way all along the well-built walls. And this is how foolish the suitors are. But there was never a shield there, nor any strong spear for them. Oh, no shields or spears for them. Oh, too bad, too bad. But they scolded Odysseus in words of anger, saying, Stranger! It is badly done to hit men. You will never achieve any more trials. Now your sudden destruction is certain, for now you have struck down the man who was far the greatest of the youth of Ithaca, for that the vultures shall eat you. All right, so they're very upset with this man, but he says, oh yes, ah yes. And from that quote, you can't quite understand, you don't quite see yet that they don't understand what's happened. Here, the next few lines, 31 through 34, let you know. Each spoke at random. For they thought he had not intended to kill the man. Poor fools. And they had not yet realized how over all of them the terms of death were now hanging. But looking darkly upon them, resourceful Odysseus answered, You dogs, you never thought that I would any more come back from the land of Troy. And because of that, you despoiled my household and forcibly took my serving women to sleep beside you and sought to win my wife while I was alive, fearing neither the immortal gods who hold the wide heaven nor any resentment sprung from men to be yours in the future. Now upon all of you, the terms of destruction are fastened. All right, great, very good. Let's begin the battle of the suitors now. Oh, yes, very good picture here. This is obviously Euromachus with a spear in his back. All right, so Euromachus, he steps up. Oh, yes, before I even get to Euromachus, I just want you to think about how symbolic Antinous' death is. A, he's holding up a golden goblet with two hands to his mouth. He's getting what while he's about to die? Drunk. Because, and this is an indication of his sort of mazed wits. He, opposite from Odysseus, does not keep his what? His wits about him, his head. Uh, so even in a seemingly safe situation, he is not safe. Destruction looms. Second, he dies in a very messy, chaotic way. He drops this giant goblet to the ground, full of liquid, sprays everywhere. His blood sprays out through his nose from his wound in his neck, and then he kicks the table over with all sorts of good food. Even in his, even in his death, he is wasteful. This is symbolic of his life, because his life was what, wasteful, wasteful. wasted. He could have been a great man, he man. He could have been a helpful man, but instead he wasted his whole life sitting around listening to uh, Demodocus sing, or not Demodocus, excuse me, that's the Phaeacian singer, listening to Phineas sing, and drinking, and pursuing Penelope. He spent his life doing nothing, effectively. And now he dies, wasteful of food, in the same way that he was wasteful of time, wasteful of his life's energies. And so Eurymachus comes out, smarmy man that he is. Remember, he's known for being a bit smarmy. He's known for lying through his teeth to Penelope's face. As he was helping to plot kill Telemachus, recall him saying, Penelope, so long as Eurymachus is alive, no one will ever lay a hand on Telemachus. I love him so. Wow, well, let's see what he has to say here. He says, well, now that Antinous is dead, Odysseus, you don't need to kill anybody more, because he's the one who came up with the plot to kill your son, and you killed him, so you've avenged yourself on, avenged yourself on him. And then Odysseus responds to them, Mm, no, not for all your father's possessions would I spare you. And so Eurymachus says, Draw your swords, suitors. So they still have swords by their sides, but they do not have access to shields or spears because who was it that took them off the walls, saying that while the suitors were drunk, they might misuse them? Slash, they, he does not want them to get tarnished by the smoke from fires. Yes. Telemachus, Telemachus. good. So he says, take cover behind the table, charge Odysseus in the door. So Odysseus then shoots him in the liver. Very good, Eurymachus getting shot in the liver. So I guess in the picture, the guy who had the spear in the back was not Eurymachus, But who is it that then charges at Odysseus and Telemachus kills by throwing a spear in his back? It is Telemachus' first kill as far as we know, yes? Amphinomus And we recall that did Odysseus want him to die? That said, who is it that sort of steeled his heart and had set his fate because of the actions he had already committed? Which goddess had made it so that Amphinomus would never escape? Yes? Athena. Athena, because even though he might have been a good man, his actions showed that he needed to be delivered up to justice. And so, Odysseus shoots uh, Eurymachus in the liver. Now we've got a dead Eurymachus, a dead a dead Antinous, and then Telemachus throws a spear in the back of Amphinomus Those are the main suitors you need to know The names of, very good. All right, while Odysseus then holds his position, this is going to get very Iliadic for a moment, Telemachus will go get more weapons and armor for Eumaeus, Poloetius, and Odysseus. Now, the problem with this is he is going to go into that ante room, that chamber room, excuse me, that treasure room that has all the weapons. While he's there, he is going to grab weapons for these three men, but he is going to leave the door cracked open, which is going to allow Melanthios, who is still working with the suitors, who does not have his priorities straight, to go into that room and further arm the suitors. Now, this will do, this will be to no avail for the suitors, because of course Athena will be on the side of Odysseus and Telemachus, and we will soon watch Odysseus and Telemachus hunt down the remaining suitors and bring them to justice, which is a euphemism for viciously kill them. Um, <laughs> um, but Telemachus does make this mistake, indicating just, remember, just as it took him four times to try and string the bow, whereas Odysseus did it easily, is he yet at the level of Odysseus? No. No, he's getting there, but he's not there yet. If yes? If he did string the bow, he had been able to shoot through the I think the idea is that the answer is not quite yet. Because since Odysseus wanted himself to do it, either... There are two ways to interpret the situation at the least. Either Odysseus dramatically wanted to show back up as king and make an act of slaughter and an act of correct aim and an act of execution be his reinstatement as monarch, or he thinks that he is still the person most capable of wielding the bow. Perhaps even both. Perhaps even both. Excellent question. Excellent question. All right, so all arm and look equally splendid. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Eumaeus. Telemachus. Philoetius, Odysseus, all look equally splendid. That means that they are all, even though they are of very different ranks, while they battle, they're all what? Equal, yes. They are side by side. They are of one force. They are many brought into one. They are epluervis unum, as our money would say. Latin phrase, though, not Greek. So, the war god sees all equally, because all people can what during war? Die. That's right. You can glut the war god with your blood. And so, might takes a position outside of side door so that none may escape. Melanthios, though, climbs through vents to get to weapons for the suitors. I'd be very interested to see sort of the the house and see why it is that it had vents in particular. Obviously, they don't have centralized air conditioning, which is why we often have vents, or or a heating system in that way, but there must have been something that they use these vents for, some sort of airflow. I don't know. If, If any of you want to become architects, perhaps you can explain that sort of thing to me. Any of you interested in houses and building houses? Very good. Very interesting. Yes, all right, good. So Odysseus suspects treachery. He's like, how is it that these suitors now have weapons? Well, the treachery comes from Melanthios. And actually, Telemachus does something that shows that he's very adult. He takes what? He takes the blame. He takes responsibility. Is he to blame for the fact that the suitors got weapons out of the room he was supposed to secure? Yes, that's a very adult moment for him. Rather than being like Eurymachus trying to make excuses and blame somebody else, in order to prevent himself from being punished, he receives he receives the blame. He takes the blame on himself. As uh, one of your uh, your English nine teachers, one of your grammar teachers says, uh, one of our cliches in this time and place in America at this time in the twenty first century is um, to how is it that we say it? Admission is guilt half forgiven. I think it's something. The truth is half forgiven. That's how. She the truth is half forgiven. When you admit to having done wrong, people are far more likely to forgive you and to forgive you quickly, is what that I is the idea behind that quote. Yes? Is the great hall they're fighting in, is it does it have a roof over it or is it, or like outside? That's a good question. So far as I know, there is a roof over it, but there is also an outside area with a wall around it. But that's a good question. I'll have to look that up. Um I think. I think what the idea is is that the Great Hall has a roof over it, and there's a great door, and outside of there is a walled area, a walled in outdoor area, a portico. All right, good, 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 good. Okay, good. This is starting to move. It's not moving much. Pause this. Back to it. Eumaeus sees Melanthio slink off towards the storeroom again. So he's tried his luck once, and it worked out for him. But if you keep trying the same old trick, is your enemy going to respond to it at some point? Of course, you score a goal once with one move. You try it the second time, your defender might be ready. And so, as Melanthio slinks off towards the storeroom, Eumaeus sees him. And he is sent alongside Beloitius to... uh, to neutralize Melanctius, and so what they do is they actually string him up with ropes and suspend him from the rafters. Yeah, so he's actually like held up above the ground in sort of a crucified sort of way, though obviously not as brutal as a full crucifixion with nails on the hands. And so he's sit, he's just hanging out, literally speaking. He would have been heard though. Ah, that's a good uh, that's a good point. Yes, in Rome he certainly would have been crucified because that was their punishment for their own citizens. But he'll, don't worry, he'll get it actually much worse than that soon enough. But for now, he just has to sit around and what about it? Think about it, yes. And can you imagine the thoughts he has while he's strung up there in that storeroom? They have to be about his future, and his future is looking pretty light or pretty dark at this point. Pretty dark. Pretty dark. I guess he can hope that those suitors are stronger than they seem to be. that hope will be dashed soon all right so Eumaius and Philoetius suspend Melanthius from the rafters they then return to defend Odysseus's position Athena then shows up in disguise the disguise of mentor so she's there so that means that Odysseus is going to be what successful or unsuccessful Successful. successful she is in the midst with Odysseus she can hold up the aegis buckler the aegis buckler does what to those who see it causes what in them Ooh, it causes terror. And what is the adjoining feeling with terror? It's based on a god named Pan. Panic. panic. Yes. Because the moment that people it, an army feels terror and they panic, they lose their formation, they break apart, you can hunt them down. Especially if they're in a finite space, like a great hall. You can hunt them down in small bands. They cannot mount a united front against you. It's like the old idea that... Uh, one stick, easy to break over your knee. Well, you put seven sticks together, you try and break them, much harder to do, much harder to do. That said, Odysseus is making from the one mini, rather than from the mini one in this case. Alright, so Athena shows up in the disguise and Mentor, rouses the fighting spirit of Odysseus but does not yet give victory and as they fight, Amphimedon strikes Telemachus on the wrist, out, but not a bad wound, just a grazing wound. Contesipus the guy who threw the, what was, what was it that Contesipus threw at Odysseus? Yes. An ox hoof. Well, let's see what he gets. Eumaius, he, well, first he stabs Eumaius in the shoulder just a scratch, though. And then Telemachus kills Amphimedon, and Thiloiteus kills Contesipus. And ooh, he says as he kills him, this is your guest gift for that hoof that you threw, Contesipus. And so he gets that sense of justice right before he died. It's just like in the movie True Lies, which most people don't watch these days with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. When he he has a guy on a cruise missile and he he's in like an, I think it's an F fifteen fighter and he shoots it and he goes you're fired. And so it's like a double kill. Not only does he beat you in wit, but then he ends your life. And it's like, dang, I'm that character. I'm the guy who gets shot, and then he says you're fired. It's like that's a bummer. Yes. Is Tony is Tony's scratch on the wrist as bad as? Ever? <laughs> I would say yes, probably so, but we know Aphrodite, she can't abide that scratch. She's, she's not a strong mortal man. She's a, she's a beautiful golden goddess. She is not to be scratched. In any case, Zeus agrees with that. Not for you are the works of war meant. And so, Contestepus has, re, has received his reward, as Jafar from Latin would say, his eternal reward. Let's keep moving. Telemachus then stabs Leocritus who long ago spoke against him in assembly. Yes, very good. And Athena then waves the aegis above the suitors. And the suitors are scattered. The moment they're scattered, they don't have a united front. If there is a trained elite unit that is going to... hmm, I shouldn't put it that way because it's not a trained elite unit. If there is a unit of four people tracking down now just individuals, will the four-on-one, will the people who are four have an advantage over the people who are one. Yes, when they split apart, when the suitors split apart, they essentially doom themselves. When you give in to panic, you doom yourself. In Leodes, we then see pathetically him beg for life from Odysseus. And Odysseus denies the request and chops off his head, still speaking. Who is it that had his head chopped off while he was still speaking in the Iliad book 10 by Diomedes? Yes. Dolon! Yes. Leodes has a wonderful equal sign put between him and Dolon, indicating that just as Dolon was a traitor, so are these people what? Mm-hmm. Traitors themselves, because their rightful king came back. They had acted against him to act against the so called crown, is to act treasonously. And so, the suitors are being tracked down and killed. They are defeated now. Once they break line, once they break formation, they are defeated. Now it's time to see who's actually worth sparing. And well, Phineas, who I mentioned earlier, the singer of the Achaeans, who has been singing—or excuse me, the singer of the Ithacans, who has been singing to the suitors—he requests, he asks to be spared. He says the only reason he ever sang to these suitors is because he's a singer. And they're strong, and he didn't like them. That's just what he does. Telemachus shows mercy, says to spare him and the herald Medon. Are Phineas and Medon rewarded for staying loyal to Odysseus all these long years? Yes, just as the suitors and the serving women will be punished, even if it takes Zeus time to reward or punish you. In this world, will he do so justly? Yes, yes, that is the idea. So Phineas and Medon are spared. Good, good, good. All right, this is a nice picture of Phineas. looks a lot like a singer with those long locks. Uh, asking to be spared. Odysseus thinking, maybe cut off his head and someone he can say, no, 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 he's a good guy and, frankly speaking, we like having singers around because I don't have that many. Yes? It's like a woman a man's body. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you, <laughs> yeah, just watch some 80s rock. Just watch some 80s yeah. rockers, yeah. It's like, that's a, that's that idea is an old idea. And you might say that it's because singers are touched by the muses. By the muses who are themselves female. Interesting. In any case, Eurycleia is summoned to pass judgment on the serving maids. Even though Odysseus had said that he will judge them himself, he now finds Eurycleia to be loyal. She has done many things to show her loyalty. She has held Odi- uh, Telemachus's secret. She has held Odysseus's secret. And she helped to bar the doors when the suitors were going to be killed. She is loyal. And so her wisdom is to be trusted. And so Telemachus then deals with the serving maids very cruelly, uh, lines 420 to 430 I have often uh, read them and then 435 to 472 I don't necessarily feel uh, inclined to do so now especially because of time but what happens is that Odysseus says cut their heads off and uh, what, what Telemachus responds is no they do not deserve a warrior's death that's a warrior's death to die by the sword what he wants to do is he takes a bit of uh, ship cable strings it up and strings them all by their necks on it And then how they are described as dying is by kicking their feet until they stop after gurgling. Oh, yes, and something I don't note in right up there is, of course, when Yeraclea was summoned, all the suitors are now dead. All these serving women were required to do what before they were hung or hanged? Yes? Clean up the bodies of the men that they had been with, laying with, just the day before. It's like, oh, well, there's the jawbone of my favorite... And there's uh, the intestines. Can I put them back in? Can I put them back in? Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. So they have to clean up the dead bodies of the people that they had come to love before being strung up themselves. And I think the reason why they receive a harsher punishment is very much clear. Were they closer or farther from Odysseus and his trust? Closer, they worked in his home. And so they are held to a higher standard. And so the punishment for treachery is worse or better for them? Yes. Worse, of course. Of course. And so then Melanthios gets dealt with. And how he has dealt with is how the men said that King Eketos would deal with uh, Odysseus. He has his nose cut off. He has his ears cut off. He has his fingers and hands cut off. He has his feet cut off. And he has his genitalia cut off, too. Just as those men attempted to break apart Odysseus's land, so is he physically broken apart. Highly symbolic, wouldn't you agree? All right, we'll have to finish this up tomorrow. We've run out of time.